You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the 50th episode of the We Lead Well podcast. We are celebrating today being 50 episodes old with Drew Povey. So we've got Drew Povey on the show again. I'm so happy to welcome him back. It's absolutely brilliant to have him with us. If you don't know already, I am Vicky Maguire. I'm an education and leadership coach. I support school leaders to help them to improve their own well-being and that of all of their staff. And I do this in a variety of different ways. I coach them one-to-one. I run leadership programs. I deliver the Resilient Leaders Elements leadership development programs. And I also run group coaching programs for women leaders. And I've created the Women Lead Well Coaching Network to provide a supportive network for female school leaders. If you would be interested in exploring any of those options for helping you to improve your well-being or the well-being in your school through coaching, you can get in touch with me via my email, vicky at weleadwell.co.uk, or you can visit the website transformeducationcoach.com. So, as I was saying... Today on the show, I welcomed back Drew Povey and I chatted to him about all things leadership, what he's learned about leading effectively in his time as a leader, what he learned from those who he led and the advice that he would give to any aspiring leaders out there. He also recommends some great reads to support your leadership learning. So here he is. Let's welcome back to the show, Drew Povey. Drew Povey, welcome back to the We Lead Well podcast. I'm so happy that you're joining us again. How are you? Vicky, it's great to be back with you. Thanks for having me back again. Um, and I'm doing well, actually. Thank you. Start of 2022. Yeah, um, life's good. Absolutely, yeah. Um, lots of different things happening in the world, which is always good. So brilliant to be here and thanks for having me back. You're welcome. You don't have to thank me. It's a privilege and a pleasure to have you join me. Thank you. Um, so... I wanted to explore with you today a bit more because we've already talked. People can listen to the first interview that I did with you if they want to find out all about you and your background and how you ended up doing what you were doing and what you do now. Um, that's a great interview and actually is the most downloaded of all of the interviews that I've done. So, wow. yeah, uh, very popular. Um, but people can go back and listen to that if they want to. Unless people are using it as a sleeping aid. Vicky, you never quite know with my with my dulcet tones. I have, I have been known to, to rock people to sleep. Well, I've got lots of podcasts that I've listened to about the first five or six minutes of. And then when I look at it, it says played. And I think I, I don't remember most of that. So podcasts are a good, they're a good way to get to sleep. Um, yeah. So I wanted today, I wanted to talk to you about all things leadership, really, because I... I think I said in the first podcast, I first came across you when I went to a leadership conference at the AJ Bell Stadium. And I thought the way that you spoke and the things that you said about leadership really inspired me. And that's why I wanted to get you on the podcast. And I don't think in the last interview, we really had a chance to explore those elements of leadership that I wanted to talk to you about. So I 
know now that you are a leadership consultant and you do lots of work helping to develop leaders. So I think it would be really interesting for the listeners to get your perspective on leadership. Um, so let's talk about you, first of all. And how would you describe your leadership style? Well, for, firstly, thank you for your kind words. Um, I think I'm probably reasonably well described as a leadership geek. So I love everything about it. I, yeah. I, I love leadership and that you got something from that session is the whole reason, you know, why we go out and talk about it, why I'm passionate about it. So thank you for that. In terms of me, the question was, how would I describe myself as a leader? Yeah, what's your, what would you say is your, you know, when, when I do MPQSL work, there's always, there's a module about leadership styles. Um, and I'm interested in what, how you would describe your leadership style of choice. I would say, oh gosh, there's so many answers I've got for this. I will keep it pretty simple to start off with by saying I'm, I'm energetic. I think um, I'm, I, you know, I'm always smiling. As my dad's favourite joke is, I'm always smiling. Don't quite always know why, um, but you know, I, I think having that energy to bring to something. Uh, bringing some passion to it. I just don't think you can beat that. You know, people ask me very often when they're going for interviews, well, what, what's a key thing, do you think? And I'm like, just be bothered about what you're doing. So I think I would always say um, energetic. Um, and I suppose my style, I want to be able to mix it up as best I can to suit the people around that um situation and the situation itself i think i think too often people go this is my style and this is how i do things well i think with leaders um in all sectors you're going to come across lots of different people in lots of different places so i think you've got to be able to do lots of different things and you have to be all things to all people now we have to be careful that we're not being inauthentic with that yeah. but i do think we've got to be able to shift and move with what the needs of the situation are asking of us it's hard that isn't it because you're absolutely right different people like to be led in different ways as well don't they so you you have some people who want to be involved in a discussion about decisions that are being made and yet there are other people who say i'm not interested in being involved in the decision just make it and then tell me what it is and i'll i'll do it yeah. but at the same time there's that i suppose you've got that comes up against being like you're saying being authentic and leading in the way that you feel most comfortable leading and and I wonder how did your leadership style change and develop in the time that you were a leader yeah I mean that that again is a really good question I I think I you know I'm still learning reading and learning yeah. an awful lot at the moment um, and I think how how I shape myself early on in my leadership career. And this was at a very early age when I was coaching rugby at the age of kind of 16. I was kind of interested in this whole area. I wouldn't have articulated it like that. Um, and it certainly probably wouldn't have looked like that. But I think it was about reading, um, learning, trialing different things, finding what felt comfortable for me, understanding what I believed in, um, but also making it about other people. And, you know, I often say that teachers have the best training to be a leader. I think sports coaches do too. You know, you, you can't go into a classroom and teach a group of kids successfully in the same way. 
you know, you wouldn't teach year seven the same way as year 11. That's pretty obvious. But no, more importantly, the characters in that room need to be handled in a different way. You can't pick, treat everyone the same. And occasionally I've heard leaders say that. And I'm always thinking to myself, well, it, isn't that a bit stupid? Because you can't treat everyone the same because we're not all the same. So being able to individualize it as much as you can and getting on people's wavelengths, I think that is absolutely critical. And, you know, we, I think we can misread leaders as well. And we have to be careful with that. Um, I know I got misread when we did the TV series. And everyone was like, my goodness me, Drew, you're like running some kind of hippie commune. Like, you know, it's all, you know, we love the kids and everything. And one, one lad put on social media, he put, Mr. Povey, just seen him on TV. I taught him in my first year of teaching. He went, best teacher I ever had, dot, dot, dot. But I don't remember him being that nice. And, and the, the, the irony was, I was really strict. And it didn't come across that way. So I think a number of things, you have to be careful how we say a leader is because lots of leaders, you hear about the reputation, you meet them, they're nothing like that. So we kind of have to make our own minds up about, about people and different people have different views of people. I think that's a, that's a crucial one to have. But I think as, when it comes to leadership, you've got to work out who you are. And then I think you've got to work out how you lead the people that you're leading. And you'll yeah. never do the same thing with a different class if you're teaching them or a different team if you're coaching them. And you'll not do that with an organisation that you're leading either because you can't because it's, again, comes down to the situation, the circumstances, the context. All of that plays into the style we should we should use. And yeah. I, I, um, I often say that leaders are like a, a toolbox in the hand, like a toolkit of various um strategies that we can use and we should use a range of them depending on who we're dealing with and what's actually going on not just putting your hand in the toolbox and pulling out the same tool every time yeah. that's when you know you get to the problem in building terms you know if, if you've got a hammer everything starts to look like a nail and it gets hammered you know it's about it's about being able to flex now, I do think leaders have probably have a, a more dominant style, but I think it's being able to do what's needed for those people in that place. I think it's really important, isn't it? Like awareness is key. Awareness of yourself as a leader and how you behave and how you respond to other people and being able to be flexible in the way that you are. But it's about awareness of others. And it's yeah. about awareness of your context, your environment that you're in as well, and how all those three things come together differently depending on where you're leading, I guess. Yeah, I was doing a coaching session earlier today, um, incidentally, just on that point. And we were talking about the, the importance of awareness for everything you've just said. And I said it is being aware, but I think also we've got to continue to work to understand because I think we can be aware of something. And I think we can see it, but maybe we don't quite understand it. And again, I think education's interesting in this arena because, you know, if a kid's not doing what they should be doing, it's not just the case of going, well, that's what that kid's done. And we're aware of it. We work really hard to understand it. Yeah. Socratic questioning, it's, listening. It's interesting that because I direct a lot of people when I'm doing the MPQSL, one of the leadership behaviours is self-awareness. And I direct a lot of people to Daniel Goldman's book on emotional intelligence. Yeah. And for him, for a lot of people, self-awareness is just 
you know, know yourself and know what you like. But Daniel Goleman takes it to a different level and says, be able to recognize your emotions and then actually do something about it. And that yeah. I think that encapsulates what you're saying, isn't it? It's not good enough to just be aware of those things. You've got to understand how you can do something about it and what impact you can have oh, on it. Vicky, you, you've, you've hit a really important element here, I think. And yes, I love Daniel Goleman's self-awareness, point one, point two, self-management. You know, just being aware of something, you know, people doing New Year's resolutions, want to lose weight, want to get healthy, want to get drinking, smoking, whatever, create a savings plan. I reckon we're aware of that and probably aware of what we need to do. But actually managing it and going out and doing it. And in business terms, I come across this a lot. In, in sport, you know, you come, we know what we want to do, but the execution of doing that thing, that becomes the different thing. And, you know, we, you, you, the, the Daniel Goleman stuff's great because then he goes on to social awareness, i.e. Yeah. reading the people around you, and then relationship management kind of being the, the top level. All that is so important. And I think there's so many aspects of leadership, which is common sense. We kind of know it. It's pretty obvious. But common sense, as we know, is not common practice. And I still think there's that gap. There's always that gap between knowing and then doing. Yeah. You know, you see this everywhere in life. We know what to do. When I've worked in, 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 in sports nutrition and sports supplements in, in the past 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't necessarily about macronutrients and micronutrients. It was about creating change and habit change and, and a shift from this to that. And all of the time, it's trying to narrow that execution gap between knowing and doing. So absolutely bang on. Awareness is great, but that alone is not enough. Yeah. So in terms of you as a leader working with other leaders, who is the best leader that you've ever worked with? What did you learn from them and how did it impact on your leadership? Jeez, Vicky, mm -hmm. can't ask me that. There's going to be like, well, there's two issues I have with that question. Number one, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. And number two, like you're going to offend someone, aren't you? Uh, oh gosh, right. Okay. So it's not just about the leaders I've worked with. I'm going to say, you know, reading books on leadership, which I, you know, chew up at an embarrassingly geeky rate. You know, there's so many people I've read about and learned from. There's people who have been privileged enough to work alongside in sport. Tony Smith, the great Tony Smith, great friend of mine, brilliant leader. Warren Gatland at Wales, fantastic. Uh, Gareth Southgate is one of the best thinkers I've had the privilege to talk with, work with Martin Johnson, Stuart Pitt. There's so many in that and they all do things differently. When it's come to business and, and the police, I mean, I'm working at the moment with Greater Manchester Cancer, um, right. some of the leaders there and oh my goodness what they've done during the COVID times to keep cancer treatment going is just like wow like you guys are all all incredible human beings the most courageous group of people I've ever met what I've learned from them has just been incredible in the business world I've you know worked with so many great leaders. it's really hard one to nail it down but what I think it is in important for me to say is that they've all taught me something different yeah and, and, and in fact even when I've worked with a leader who maybe hasn't been my cup of tea 
And by the way, who cares what I think? But they might not be. What I see is a great list. I've still learned something from them, even if that's what not to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually love the, the Tom Peters, one of my favorite business authors. He says, you want to know how to do leadership? Dead simple. Think of all the leaders that you've worked under and you've loved what they've done. Do those things. Think of all the leaders who you've hated working for. Think about what they do and don't do those things. And that's your leadership training in a box. And when I heard him do that in an interview, I was like, that is absolutely brilliant. But I think what I've learned is how to deal with those difficult, tricky moments, because that's always where leadership really kicks in. Yeah. Um, I've also learned with people how to deal with success in the right way, you know, how to take the learning from it. I was doing um, a, a talk a number of years ago with a very, very famous sports person. I won't go into the detail, but when we were doing a Q&A at the end, the audience said to me, what's one of your greatest leadership tips through before you lead us? And I said, learn from your failures. Don't shy away from them. Take the learning. You know, the Matthew Sayer black box, think, uh, black, black box thinking stuff. And um, I've got a new book coming out on that topic just because I'm like, it's really important to learn when things are difficult. That's the, that's the key time to learn. But the sports star who was... Um, just a phenomenal speaker. It was absolutely great. It was Francois Pinar that worked with Nelson Mandela and his story was amazing. But he said, but we've got to learn from success too, Drew. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And he was like, everything Drew said is bang on, but we don't learn from success either. We normally thumbs up and let's go to the pub and celebrate. Let's learn at both ends of the spectrum. So there's been so many great leaders, the way I've watched them deal with the scenarios they're in, difficult times, great times, um, how I've watched them create positive and sustainable change. And so many people I've not even met, you know, that with the you know, wonders of modern technology, I've, I've watched them do presentations online. There's just so many people that have given me so many things. I, I've answered that question by sitting on the fence and getting splinters quite incredibly, but I hope <laughs> I've given something. It's like everywhere I go, I'm looking at how I'm learning on leadership. Every client I work with now they're teaching me something you know and that's great and and again that goes back to that know yourself awareness stuff and then seeing and, you know, and I suppose everybody that. everybody has strengths don't they you know hmm. to say the like the best leader when you look at all the different leaders that you've worked with they've all got strengths in in different areas I'm interested in the learning from success because you're right there is a huge focus on learning from your mistakes so how do you learn from your successes? What does that yeah. really mean? Well, I think um, it's a bit like when I work in sport, and uh, again, I've referenced Tony Smith because he's brilliant on um, analysing a performance. And he says, you know, I'd rather my analysts analyse a performance without knowing the end result. Because if you know you've won by a very small margin, you'll be much more positive in your analysis. If you've lost by a very small margin, you'll be more negative in your analysis. You've probably performed in almost the same way, but you view things differently. And of course, the problem with looking at our failures is we'll be really down on ourselves and everything's gone and everything's bad and we catastrophize and the imposter syndrome kicks in. And before we know it, the clouds are well and truly hanging over our head. But it's also the same when you look at success because everything's great. 
oh my goodness, look at what we did there. That was absolutely tremendous. This is incredible. How could it get any better than this? So we're not accurate in either end of the spectrum. I think it's looking at the performance in as much detail as you can. And most importantly, Vicky, it's spending time doing it. Yeah. Um, at the it's end of every year. It's a isn't it? It is. At the end of the year, I do a review of my year. Every year I do a review and I've done it with a lot of corporate um, uh, teams. I do it with individuals. You've got to review your year and you've got to get into detail. You know, where's the learning? Where do we get it right? What would we improve next time? What was our best learning? What was the best decision we made? Where did it quite go wrong? How did we get to this point? So many different questions. And it's really digging into it almost without knowing the end point and getting sucked into a success or a failure, let's actually look at what we did. Let's look at what we did. Because sometimes we can do things really well and be almost faultless and lose because they're things outside of our, and we lose then some really good stuff that we've done. So what I'd say is it's get into some detail and really analyze things. And I do have to say, Vicky, I think sport does that better than anyone else. It will really dig into any performance, including, interestingly, uh, interestingly, training. So at the very elite level, they're even recording and analysing their training, which is that's, pretty cool. That's, that's why I think coaching in schools is so powerful. When staff coach each other and they really go into detail in terms of what happened in a lesson and what was going on, what were they trying to achieve, what did they want, what was the, you know, what was the actual outcome can be really powerful. And I'm wondering whether if, if senior leaders are listening to this and thinking, oh, well, when would I do that review then after the GCSE results? I'm thinking, no, if you do that in July at the end of the school year before you get your results, like you're saying, you've, you've got to do a, a reflection or analysis based on the actual things that happened not when you get your results and they're not as good as you wanted so you look at everything and go oh, that wasn't good that didn't work that went wrong or your results come in and they're great and you just go oh everything must have been brilliant then exactly that and, and I remember talking to some colleagues from Blackpool once and they were saying look it's really difficult to know if any of these strategies have worked because we've had about 50 of them so we've had 50 strategies. If it has gone better, we've no idea which one it was Yeah. because we've had the kitchen sink thrown at us. So there, there, there is definitely a bit of that. I also think on that coaching point you mentioned there, Vicky, it's about doing it live. You're right, at the end of the year, the end of the game, like that's a, I was always really interested in, in, in doing a lesson observation, but doing live feedback. So this is weird, right? But this is, you can imagine how my mind would work. We did this teaching learning classroom, which lots of schools have done with cameras in. And we had an earpiece in for the teacher and we'd coach them live, you know, his little Jimmy at the back, concentrating or just try and ask him this question. And they would be, in, you know, but we'd be working together to improve their teaching live. Yeah. Rather than it being, oh, I'll watch the lesson and give you lesson feedback. It was a really cool way of doing it. And then we'd have, you know, a really collaborative conversation. And again, that was something I've seen in sport, you know, very, very early on. Um, I went down to, it was England Rugby Union and, and they were recording a training session. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's really cool. That's really cool because they're analysing their training to see what they need to pick up on to get the training better, to perform better in the matches. Yeah. And I thought it was a really good way of doing it. It was live, live 
shifting and and getting different views on it because of course if we've done that thing ourselves it's quite hard for us to always accurately judge it we can judge some things that only we can judge but other aspects we can't i just like the whole conversation around it because if we're going to get people better and you know the i think coaching is such an important way of doing it i think getting alongside colleagues and talking and sharing ideas i mean you're your work you're doing, you know, with, with female leaders, it's so important. You know, I see the difference it makes and people look at me and they'll go, Drew, you're, you're a keynote speaker, aren't you? And I go, no, I'm not. And they go, well, I've seen you speak. I'll go, I limit those because they're nerve wracking and they take a lot of energy and I find them hard work. And some people may listen to that and go, I've watched you and it is hard work watching you never mind <laughs> you doing it. no, it's definitely but, not no but, I, can vouch for I don't most of my time Vicky is coaching because I know the impact that that one-on-one conversation and that shift can have on on a person's life and then of a leadership role in the impact it has on them as leaders and the people that are privileged to lead and in a school scenario in the kids and in the community that is where you can see massive changes it's happen. massive isn't it it's huge you can I've seen people's not their personality change but I've had people who who have done the group coaching program and who've said I really had to look at myself and you made me look at myself and then I've changed my approach with people you know I realized the way that I was being wasn't bringing out the best in people and it wasn't me showing my best self and you know it's the impact that it has is that it, it changes you as a person and a leader yeah, and reflect. And, and we, we all need that. You know, we get caught up in the busyness of life. I mean, why is mindfulness and meditation so big? Because it brings you back to be aware of being where you are. And, and we need that in our working practice. I'm evangelical about it, as you know. Um, yeah. And I'm talking about it here passionately. But it's a big difference maker. And we need lots of it. And there's lots of very good people doing that out there in the world. And long may that continue. And I think you have to understand that it's an investment as well. It's an investment that you make in in yourself. And yes, it takes time. And I've spoken to people who say, yeah, but I don't have time for coaching. But I've coached people who say that one hour when I was coached has actually saved me hours because I get the time to actually get the things that I'm doing right. So it really helps you to be much more productive and it helps you to be able to prioritize what you want to do and what you want to focus on. Yeah, I, I'm I'm doing an audio book at the moment. Um, so I don't know if it's in print. Um, it's called How to Train Your Brain. And it's by a guy who's interested in productivity, but interested in meditation. And a lot of people have been going, oh, meditation, here we go. But just bear with me on this, because he reckons for every one minute of meditation you do you get at least nine minutes of productivity back and this is to do with you know being calmer being more focused etc but what that's doing is it's just bringing you back to the moment meditation that's all he's not talking about any special type of just having a minute breathing being where you are being present and just being still now coaching can do a lot of that in my view and i'm don't know whether there's a study on this. There probably is somebody's trying to do it somewhere. But at the end of the day, there must be a study done on the impact that coaching's had 
on people's thinking, on people's productivity. Because from my personal experience, having been coached and coached, not always by brilliant people, I have to say, but throughout my career, I've had various people around me doing that. It's always made a positive impact every single time. So it is essential and we need it. And it, it, it's that space to step back, isn't it? To get off the hamster wheel for, for a while before you get gone. I wonder if it's linked to, have you seen the studies that they've been doing in, I think it was in Holland and I think Japan have tried it, maybe Finland, four day weeks rather than five and the difference oh. it's made to people and the productivity has virtually stayed the same or got better over four days because they've had the fifth day and, and yeah. had this had that space I, suppose. I can believe that and I think the word space is interesting because that's the Victor Frankl if you read Man's Search for Me yeah. he, was a Holocaust yeah. man. he talks about the space between stimulus and response yeah and, and and for me I've always seen coaching as that space and I work with a lot of people on just create a space Let's not react. Let's respond. Let's create that space in the middle. So I think it's definitely doing that as well. And I'm sure there is research on the on the, the four day week from what you're saying. It, it sounds rather appealing that, Vicky. Well, I do a four day week anyway, since I've left you. Good on you. Well, good on you. I say I do. I try. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tend to end up probably don't always uh, do the complete four day week. Um, but I think that a coaching approach to leadership as well is a really effective way of just making your staff responsible as well and making them become more aware of what they're doing and it's it, for me the the coaching approach is is the best is the best one as a leader it's what I've always tried to do um so we just taught there like I was going to ask you about the most important elements of leadership um and I think we've just talked talked through a lot but what, what do you see as being, like, as a leader, when you're doing that role, what's the most important thing or what are the most important things that you need to, to do? Before Drew tells us what he thinks are the most important elements of leadership, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our partner, Head Teacher Chat. Head Teacher Chat discusses lots of topics from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Head Teacher Chat is to support head teachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover, as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first School Leader Planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www.headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat. It's what head teachers are talking about. Now let's get back to the interview. Yeah, and I try and make things really simple. So leadership for me comes down to three things. Number one, it's about people. It's a people sport. Leadership is about people. People make the difference. It's a people thing. Less a process thing, more a people thing. So that's the first thing I say. The second thing I always say about leadership, because I was once asked to do one of those horrible things where they go, describe leadership in three words. And like an idiot, I took the bait and I did it. So number uh, word number one was people. It's about people. Word number two was vision. 
where are you going with the people where are you taking them yeah you know what's the future going to look like you know as john maxwell said he who thinks he leads but no one's following is simply taking a walk and it's a it's a great phrase because there is some people i've seen over the years who've clearly just been taking a walk um so i think that's key so it's people it's vision and and i think a lot of it is about the sell you know, my good friend, Mickey Mellon, who's a sports coach, who wrote the book with Phil Denton, The First 100 Days in Football Management. It's currently at Tranmere Rovers, took over, no team there whatsoever. The second in the league, they'll get promotion, uh, promoted again because he's just a promotion expert. And he will always say leaders are salespeople. We're selling things to people all the time. And some people go, oh, I don't like the connotation of that. I've got this idea of kind of a, a used car salesman salesperson no we're selling people on better ways of doing things of improving things of of doing things in a different way um i've never seen again um a, a coach on a sports field or a teacher in a classroom that isn't doing a sales job that's what we're doing so i think if you if i stick to those principles in my head which makes sense leadership number one is about people it's a people sport number two it's a vision thing where are we taking these people? What kind of journey are we going on here? Let's get excited. Let's go and do something. And number three, let's sell people with that. Let's get people on board. Let's create that influence that the best leaders create. It's the art of persuasion, isn't it? You've got to be able to persuade people. Yeah, absolutely you have. And it's it's about getting people as well to, to be sold on a maybe even a different way of doing things. And that's not, you know, they don't always have to buy it 100% but at least get them thinking about something different, a different way of being. And without, with, I think the vision that you talk about is, is the, probably the key there, isn't it? Because I've worked in, in roles where I feel like I'm lost. I don't know, like I can do lots of things. I can work, I can do all this stuff, but I don't really know why I'm doing it. I don't really know, like when I was a deputy, I felt really lost and quite unhappy because I didn't know where the head wanted us to go. I was never clear on what he wanted to do with the school, what, what, what were his expectations or his aspirations for the children and the staff. Yeah. I, I didn't know I had nothing to hang everything that I was doing on. And I, fe I felt deeply unhappy because of that. Yeah, I think you've got to... I think we're quite driven, aren't we? You know, just if we just flap around in the wind. You know, I, I read an article, this was about four years ago, about people who'd won the lottery very often have a lower level of happiness six months after they've won the lottery than they had before they won it. And I was like, I'm not having that. <laughs> if, you, if you drop the euros, you are not going to be miserable six months later. But what the article was saying was, there was a couple of anomalies in there, like... Um, um, a guy of a particular faith that shouldn't bet. I can't remember the example they gave. They obviously were kicked out the family kind of thing because they shouldn't have been betting. Um, so whilst they were very wealthy, they then became yeah. ostracised from the family, which is awful. But a lot of it was because they didn't really have a purpose of being. I'm kind of, I've got loads of cash, I'm wedged. All my mates want it. Everyone's a bit envious of me. Don't really know what I'm going to be doing with myself. And human beings need purpose. We know that. There was a lot of that during lockdown. What's kind of happening here? What am I doing here? I'm getting a bit bored. And you know, there's only so much time you've got. So I think as human beings, we need a, a purpose in life. You know, we need to be doing something and going somewhere. That's the same in leadership. 
people don't just want to be there to have a job and get paid, even though they would quite like to get paid for the job, I'm sure. They're actually there to do something. I want to be part of something. As Steve Jobs said, I want to make a bit of a dent in the universe myself. I don't want to be just an also-ran or making up the numbers. What are we doing here? Let's go and do something. Come on, let's go. And, and, And I think human beings are at the best when that happens. You know, even during COVID, people have said, oh, we've seen some awful human behavior. I've seen examples of the best human behavior I've seen in years, Vicky. Yeah. I've seen people starting off local community groups, people doing checking up on neighbors, getting stuff for each other, thanking the NHS, all of that. I think there's so many good aspects when people get on purpose, they live life on purpose. So, yeah, I think that direction, that vision, I would say it's one of those key things in life that you need. And I think it helps drive things forward. And I think if we haven't got that, almost like, what is the point? And it doesn't matter how much work you put in then, does it either? One of the analogies that I use with the head that I was working with, and don't get me wrong, he worked his fingers to the bone. He worked so hard. He probably worked 70 or 80 hours a week. The thing was, it was like he was on an exercise bike in the gym. And he was like pedaling like mad and sweating and putting all this effort in. But the bike was just staying where it was. He wasn't yeah. going anywhere. Yes. And sometimes I think without that sense of direction, that clarity of direction of where you're going, all the hard work is pointless almost. It can certainly feel like that. It can certainly feel like that. And that's when it then gets, it can get tricky. I also think that if you can work with the whole team to create the vision. So I was working with a, a fantastic top level sports team recently and we were creating a vision for the year and it was so exciting to do that but they were all in on it It wasn't just a few of us that went away it was the whole team all the staff let's create what we want to do and make people part of the creation because when we're part of creating something that's when it gets exciting yeah and that links into values as well doesn't it and you know using your values to build your vision as well and bringing people in and asking people what their values are and working out what your shared values are and what your shared goals are. Because then when people feel like they've been listened to and contributed to something and what they believe in is what the organisation or school believes in, then the cell's easier, isn't it? Absolutely, because they've, they've created it. I also think it's really weird that, you know, an organization could potentially tell a person, I'm being facetious because we all do it and we do need it, but imagine someone telling you what your values are. That's, That's quite an interesting, it's quite an interesting concept, isn't it? That a head teacher walks into a school and says, let's have this set of fact, right, this is our values and puts them up on the walls all around the school and people are looking at them going, oh, right, okay, so there our values, are they? Yeah, I, I just find that completely incomprehensible. But if you can create them with people, And then when people join, so people then go, I know, but there'll be a churn of staff. Well, you would, to be smart, you'd recruit on them. You'd be like, right, this is what we stand for. This is what we believe in. If this is you, come and join us. Hey, and if it's not, and if it's not, by the way. So having done this with lots of companies, I'll say to people, this is what I think we're landing on. And I'm just there as part of the conversation. And if these aren't for you, then you need to be thinking about whether this place is for you. And that's not me being horrible because I actually would hate to be in a place where the values weren't aligned with my values. Yeah. 
So I think it's a really powerful thing, but it has to be done with the people, not to the people. And it's not difficult to do. Definitely. I totally agree with you on that one. So we were talking before about learning from your mistakes and learning from your successes. And as a leader, it's another one of these, like the most or the best. But what's the most important thing that you learned as a leader? There's some tough tough ones coming here, Vicky, but I I like it, actually. (laughs) I don't know what that says about me. Um, I know you like a challenge, you see, so. I do love a challenge. um, And I like these questions. They're very, very good. I've never been asked anything uh, like this on a podcast before, so they're good. Um, I'd say, I'd say it would start with, with me. I think so many people talk about leadership and they're talking about what they're going to do with others. I always want to start with me, first of all. That's not because, you know, I'm self-obsessed. I think it's only fair to lead other people if I'm leading myself correctly in the first instance. I remember this is years ago and this is the corniest, cheesiest story, which, by the way, you'll probably want to edit out of this before it goes live. So I'll warn you, Vicky, before I say this, but it was a story about um, Gandhi. And there was a, a woman who'd, who'd queued up all day to see Gandhi. And it was right at the end of the day. And they said, look, we can't see any more people. Gandhi's got to travel off. And he said, please, 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 I need to see Gandhi. I need to see Gandhi. And the guy was like, look, I'm really sorry. We've got to go. And Gandhi said, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll see that lady. She's been here all day with her son. Bring him up. And um, the, the woman comes up to Gandhi and she says, I just want to speak to you um, about my son. He's eating sweets all the time. Can you just have a chat with him? Because he will not stop eating sweets. And he says, look, Madam, I'm really sorry. I, I'm not, I really do have to go. I'm back here in three weeks' time. Please come back in three weeks' time and I'll sit down with you and I'll sit down with your son. You have my word. And off he goes. And she's a bit deflated, but she's thinking, well, at least I can have him in three weeks' time. So three weeks' time passes. She comes back and she comes up on the stage. She gets there nice and early. She's one of the first ones up. She's like, Gandhi, do you remember? He said, I absolutely remember. You come here. She's son with the sweets, isn't it? So she sits on the... the The guy comes up, he sits next to Gandhi, has a word with him for literally about 30, 40 seconds and then sends him back to the mum and the lad's like, do you know what, I'm not going to eat sweets, mum. So the mum's a bit perplexed at this point. So she goes to Gandhi, goes, Gandhi, thank you ever so much, can't believe it. The impact is amazing. Wow, that's incredible. Could you not have done that though, like three weeks ago? Because it's like half a minute, like to a minute. And he just went, I could have done, but then three weeks ago I was still eating sweets. And and I remember thinking at the time, you know, he didn't want to be a hypocrite. He didn't want to kind of be up there telling somebody something and be seen as a hypocrite. He was doing it from a place of experience. And and whatever I've tried to do as a leader, I've wanted to be, be in that position and understanding it, really understanding it myself. So I wouldn't want to be one of those, you need to go and do that, or guys, we need to go over here when I've never been over there or have been experiencing that myself. So I think having a real knowledge and a deep understanding of it, again, going back to what we said earlier, not just being aware, really understanding the dynamics, reading about it, learning about it before I go and try and lead it. Whenever I go into a business now, I spend hours doing homework about the business, about the history of it, about where they've come from, who works there, the general views. I won't go in cold. I've got to understand it. And that's part of kind of, the preparation to go in somewhere, but I think that's me leading me really well. So I think 
that's probably one of the things I'd say in terms of the most important thing, prep well, know yourself well, lead yourself well before you go and try and lead an organization. You know, when some people I've coached over time have kind of been trying to get people to do things that they don't believe in, well, that's a waste of time. Or they're trying to get people to do things that they don't understand or they don't do, that's a bad idea too. Lead yourself well, get yourself right. And then if you're going to lead other people, you'll have the skills to be able to do that. And the only other thing I'd say on top of the most, because it's another most important <laughs> thing I've learned as a leader, I think I'd have to say, it's a bit, bit obvious this, but leadership really does matter. And, and, and every time I see a great organisation, there's great leadership there. When I see a bad organisation, nine times out of ten, bad leadership or has been previously. So I would say it's that important. You've got two equal teams. One team's got a great leader. The other one's not. The team with the great leader will be out of sight. And I think that's as powerful as it is. It's such an important thing to understand, isn't it, as well, that the impact that that you have as a leader. I think after teaching and learning in schools, the second biggest impact on outcomes is the leadership of the school yeah because you buy into what the ethos of the school is as a parent don't you I know I was really interested in how the schools I've sent my kid to were led I wasn't interested in their Ofsted I've got no idea what the latest exam results were but I was interested in the culture and how they were led that was the bit I was sending my kids to and as a leader you you create that culture don't you absolutely yeah 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 absolutely but I think you've got to lead yourself well first and that's the, that's the whole Gandhi thing. Lead yourself well first before you can lead other people. So I think one of the things that you were saying before, I can't remember how you phrased it, but my interpretation of it was, oh, I think it was to do with common sense. And I think a lot of leaders in schools in particular end up in leadership positions because they're good teachers. And generally you're a good teacher because you're good at leading children. And then they end up, I know we've got quite a few national qualifications now in leadership, but a lot of it is really intuitive. When I was a head of English and I was a good head of English, you know, we got 90% A star to C in our GCSE results and 90% three levels of progress. So I was leading the department well. Yeah, that's fantastic. If someone had asked me at that point in time, well, what are you doing? How are you leading them? I would have just been like, oh, I don't actually, I don't actually know because it was, it just, it came naturally to me. It was very instinctive and intuitive and I did what I felt needed to be done and I read things and I learned things and I asked people things, but how do you think we can support leaders in schools to develop their leadership skills and abilities and do it in a way that's obvious to them? So it's yeah. not just something that they're just doing because they're pretty good at it. Yeah, I mean, coaching's a massive part of this, but I think we covered that earlier on. Um, it's a little bit like, this doesn't just happen in teaching, by the way, in education. This happens in all walks of life. You'll have someone who's brilliant at something, and then we take them away from doing that thing and give them a leadership role of that thing. Yeah. Regardless <laughs> of whether we've even considered whether they can lead or not. You know, it's a bit like asking, you know, saying to somebody, well, you know, you've, you've, you've been in a car before, you've sat in a car, and therefore go and drive it. Yeah. You, know, you, you wouldn't You wouldn't ever do that. You have to pass a test. And I'm not suggesting we bring tests into to leadership, 
But I think we've got to get alongside people and we've got to work with them to gain an understanding, the awareness and the understanding of what leadership is, and then work with them to create the way they do it for the people they lead in their circumstances. What inevitably happens, a bit like meetings, right? A lot of people hate meetings. And when I say to people, have you ever been trained in meetings? They were like, well, no. All right, so how, how do you know how to do a meeting? Well, I just do what my, my bosses have done. I create an agenda, I think, and see if anyone wants to put anything on. And then we make minutes. And then the next meeting, we go through the minutes of this meeting. And then we go, then right, all right, do you enjoy meetings? No, I hate them. Right, well, you're replicating the same thing. Oh, I know, yeah. So that's just what we do, isn't it? And that's a little bit like with leadership. We will lead in the way that we've seen before and we kind of pick it up by osmosis. We wouldn't do that with very important things. And it happens in all walks of life. People are a, a superstar at something and they very quickly get this leadership job. I think it's about um, creating a conversation around leadership and getting people to feel comfortable because a lot of people go, yeah, I'm a leader. I know about it. And they're too um, embarrassed to go, actually, I don't really know what leadership is. Has anyone got any ideas? And that was why I eventually started writing materials because I was going, well, it's this, isn't it? And I was reading about it. I go, oh, it's just this, but it's simple. Like it's simple. It's hard to do, but it's a simple enough concept. We just need to create some stuff. So I think it would be creating a conversation and, and sharing the learning across people to go, well, this is what I think it is. And this is what I do in these circumstances. Oh, I quite like that. That would work me. Yeah, that's probably not what I'd do. But that is something. And again, what we're getting here is to like coaching cultures. And, and the, the, the other thing that I think all sectors are really bad at, they don't learn outside of the sectors. You know, it was almost like when I was working in sport, because I have always worked in sport, people in education were like, well, why are you going to learn that in sport? Why not? It's still leadership. Same thing. In fact, they're going to have some fresh ideas that I can nick and, People in sport were loving the stuff in education. They were like, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't know you could do that. And then the same in business and the NHS and the police. Everyone's doing good stuff. Let's get leaders having a conversation, sharing ideas, knock down the barriers, get rid of the egos. What is this thing called leadership? Let's learn about it. And I think you do it's that. The, it's the same, isn't it? Whichever sort of organisation you work in, it's essentially, exactly. it's essentially exactly. the same thing, isn't it? it? It's people, it's vision, it's sell. That's all it is. So whether you're a chief constable, an exec lead in the NHS, a top flight sports coach, a head teacher, a CEO of a big business, you're all doing the same thing. Everybody is. So can anyone be a leader then? Can I anyone think, do it? I think if you really want to become a leader, I think you can. I had a conversation on, what day are we on now? Wednesday, Wednesday. Mm, Wednesday, yeah. <laughs> it is Wednesday, it is. Um, on Monday this week, and someone was asking me this question, and they went, yeah, but do you think I've got what it takes to go to the next level of leadership? And I go, well, if you want to, yeah, probably. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of these that goes, believe it, and you can achieve it. And some people say that to me, like when they see my social media, I'm like, no, I don't actually, you know, I'm not going to become a rocket scientist. And by the way, I might believe I can beat Usain Bolt in a race, but it's not happening, Vicky. And we all know. So believing it and achieving it is just, you know, you have to believe and achieve in things that you can actually do. Um, and you have at least a base in something. But I do think a lot of it's a choice. And what we have to get away from is this kind of stereotypical, well, that's a leader, the extrovert, the big character. 
Because we know from Jim Collins's research, it's the introverted, stoic, quiet leaders. Now, that was interesting because then people like Tom Peters were arguing against that going, well, okay, these 10 X's you're talking about, Jim Collins, in your books, Good to Great, Built to Last, How the Mighty Fall, all the stuff you're saying over there, well, that's that's great and that's that's fantastic. But Tom Peters is like, what about Winston Churchill? What about, you know, Margaret Thatcher? These were These were big, loud, strong characters out there. What I take from all of the stuff I've read is, is leaders are not one size and one size of leadership development doesn't fit all either. I think if people have a desire to lead, then I think they can. I think if you compare a Sir Richard Branson, Sir Alan Sugars to your, you know, Jeff Bezos and your Steve Jobs, you're going to see very, very different types of characters across those four people, but all significant leaders of the last kind of 20, 30 years. Um, so, yes, I think you can. I think um, understanding what leadership is, you know, you don't have to have a position to lead, by the way, either. So some of my greatest influencers, persuaders, sellers, leaders have been people like cleaners in the business. My and they had say, he didn't want to be a leader, but he was always the person who the leader, well, he didn't want to be a manager. It was a manager back then. He didn't yes. want to be a manager, but the managers always came to him to ask for his advice. Now that is key because I would say that is maybe some of the management stuff, but to lead John Maxwell number one leadership authority in the world at the moment, book sales through the roof. He says leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. So if you we look at your, was it granddad, did you say? Yeah, yeah. Granddad, did he have influence? Yes, he did. So if that's the case and you interchange leader and influencer, then I think we're probably getting a more rounded idea. So when that question originally comes up, people go, could I be CEO? Could I be head teacher? Could I be exec lead? Whatever. No, that's not what we're talking about. The question is, could you have influence? And the answer to that is you already do. Brilliant. I love that. Last question. So what advice? Make it a good one. Well, it's what advice would you give? Because there are lots of, there are lots of leaders listening to this, this program and lots of leaders who want to progress in their careers. What advice would you give to an aspiring senior leader? My best bit of this, is this one of these? Oh no, this is just general advice, is it? You're not asking me for the best of no, or the most- No, not the best of. piece of advice, not the most wonderful piece of advice. If it comes from you, I'm sure it will be the most wonderful piece of advice that they can, <laughs> that they can hear. Just what advice would you give? You can give as many pieces of advice as you like. It's entirely up to you. Do what you like with the question. (laughs) Right. Brilliant. Thank you. This has been great. I've had a riot on here, Vicky, as always. So thank you. Right. Okay. My advice to any leader or anybody aspiring to lead and please lead because it's great and we need more leaders and different shapes and sizes. So my advice would be this. Read and learn. Observe and learn try things and learn and talk things through with people and learn. I think that's what I'd say, because I think all of those things to read, observe, try things, talk things through, but it's the learning that comes as a result of it. And I think if people do that, they probably won't go far wrong. 
How important is reading? Oh, well, I mean, for me, I'm very sad. I've read over 650 books now on leadership, change, success and culture. And I'm certainly not slowing down now. Really, really important. I'm dyslexic. And that's not, a, a, a you know, a kept secret considering it was on a, a TV series, <laughs> national TV series on Channel 4, but I do audiobooks. And that was introduced to me by a great friend of mine a number of years ago to audiobooks, Drew. That's about 20 years ago. I was like, oh, yeah, that would be a great idea. That means I can read. Right. Jobs are good. And oh, I started, like, chewing up audiobooks at a, an incredible rate, right the way back when they were always on CD, and I'd buy them on CD yeah. and download them onto the computer. I remember that coming in early 90s. Yeah. and trying to find the crappy uh, clip art to, to go on the file for an mp3 <laughs> you know but read 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 everything everything and the great thing now is there's so much content out there there's blogs there's there's articles you can get things emailed through to your account i put stuff on line every day just in the hope that it'll help a person or a couple of people it's kind of like come on there's enough stuff out there that's free as well so get out yeah. there and throw yourself into it one of, one of the um, things I was I just did an, another um, podcast with um, a lady called Kate Jones, who knows everything there is to know about, um, well, which we were talking about retrieval practice. Right. And as a leader, I, I think it's really important, especially, I mean, in a school, whatever environment you work in, that you're a specialist in that specific area that you're leading and you have to be the font of knowledge in that. You have to know what's going on. You've got to be there understanding what's, you know, what's current, what's happening, what's the best research telling us. And I don't think enough leaders really understand how important that is. For leadership? Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard, I think. Yeah, and that in itself is a massive pressure for people to be an expert in an area and know everything. And it almost in education, it's extra pressurised because we're educators. So we've got to have the education on the education stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we're like, it's like double pressured. So I think that's really hard for people to know. But again, I think there's a lot of stuff out there. But yes, for leaders, if you've got a leadership position, understand it you know, learn about it, look at it in other sectors, like I said before, look at it through a slightly different lens. And some people don't do that, I don't think, because they say they haven't got enough time. Well, you know, I've got a waterproof speaker and as I'm showering, I have my audio book on, find time, you've got a, a commute, walk you in your You drive to car. work, don't you? I, I just think... Anything. It's, there's so many easy ways now of getting that learning. But I think you should push yourself, not just to learn, or to get better, but a lot of it is to go, I do that. Oh my goodness, yeah, and that does work. Oh, I didn't realize that's quite what it was. It's just to connect the dots sometimes and give yourself a bit of a boost. And I, I always like the phrase that, that, that competence will lead to confidence. And I agree with it. And actually the more we learn about stuff and the more we get a bit more competent, the more we're likely to be confident and everyone suffers with a lack of confidence in things. We all do. Even the most successful people you'll ever meet, and you'll have seen them on your TV, who I've worked with over the years, they still suffer confidence issues. They just do. And when they're in that position, they need something that can kind of pull them back together. We've all got that. And I think one of the ways to overcome some confidence issues is to learn about it, become competent, boost your confidence.
yeah, the more you know, the better you feel about actually standing up there and being in the spotlight, I suppose. Yeah, and it can, and it can give you a real shot in the arm because you might be going, oh, my goodness, I've always done that. And, wow, that's what, you know, um, Herb Kelleher did at Southwest Airlines or that what, you know, um, Jurgen Klopp does at Liverpool or, you know, I can't believe I used that as an Everton fan. What a ridiculous thing to say. That. But it's kind of like, you know, you, you would look and you go, wow, they do that. And that in itself can grow you as a leader too. But also accepting that you can always learn more. You're never the finished article. There's always more to learn and you don't know everything. And being prepared to say to, to people, you know, I know a lot, but, but I don't know everything. And, yeah. and, and accept that as well. And that's fine. There's always more to learn. I'm still, I still, yeah, I still feel in my infancy in this arena. And people say, oh, you're the expert. You get touted as a leadership expert. And I know quite a bit about leadership, but gosh, I've got loads to learn. I'm still going. I'm writing new material. I've got to learn more. I've got to learn more because I love it. And that's that passion and direction and purpose stuff we talked about earlier. So important. I think I said that was the last question, but this is the last question, actually, based on what we've just said. Best leadership book you've ever read. You can only choose one this time. I'm just giving you one. You can't wheedle out of this one and say, oh, there's loads. You've got to pick the best. Oh, my God. The one that you go back to time and time again. The one that's dog-eared. And like I've got I've got the co-coaching book that's completely dog-eared and has about 100 and... 20 post-it notes and probably more tiny little post-it notes and notes on pages and highlighted what's the book that you go back to again and again gosh that is so difficult that is so difficult you've stumped me I thought I'd got through <laughs> and I've kind of gone it it's so difficult as so many authors your Tom Peters your John Maxwell's uh your Matthew Syed's there's just so many of them Chip and Dan Heath um, I don't want to say anything like the Bible because people will misconstrue that, but there's just brilliant. A lot of people go back to lots of stuff that's in the Bible, um, whether you're religious or not. And that's not the point I'm making. Um, do you know what? I'm going to go with the old classic. And I'm, I can, I, it's not, I'm not going to say it's the best leadership book I've ever read. So I can't answer that because I just don't know. So I'm sorry, I'm going to pass. I just don't know. I don't know because there's so many ones for different things. What I will say is that the one I've read more times than others, because it was one of the first ones I ever read, was Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And and the reason I always go back to that, and I've gifted that with a lot of people. um, In fact, it's my second most gifted book. My most gifted book is Robert Cialdini's Influence book, which is just amazing, like amazing, amazing. That's well worth reading. But Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, because... For this simple reason, if everyone read that book, the world would be a better place. Drew, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. What a great place to finish it. My friend gave me a copy of that when we were about 17. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is so good. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm not going to say I'm glad you chose that, but. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good choice. If people if people are listening and thinking, actually, I need to start reading more, it's a good starting point. I I think Radical Candor by Kim Scott's an absolutely amazing book for Great readers. Book. 
Great just book. because you give so much feedback to people. And I, I think you would you alluded to this earlier in the the um interview about how people don't have those difficult conversations with people. You know, that that's the hard work of leadership, having like giving feedback to people and being honest and helping them to develop. So I, I would also go for Radical Candor by Kim Scott. That's a great book. I, I think, um, I don't think it's in Kim Scott's book, but I love the idea of when you're delivering difficult messages, have the two C's in your mind, imprinted in your mind, which is care. You've got to care for somebody as you're doing that. That's the people side, but have candor too. Yeah. If you have too much of one, that tricky conversation ain't going to hit the spot. You've got to have the care. I, I care about you, but I'm going to be honest with you too. Too much care, you don't get the candor. Too much candor without the care, they just think you're a whatever, so-and-so. And, -so. and exactly. probably not nice words uh, yeah. supplemented there. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure again. Thank you so much. Vicky, thank you as always and keep doing the good stuff. Well, that was such a great experience interviewing Drew again. I just want to say thank you to him for sharing his wisdom, experience and knowledge. He's really, really busy running his business through Povey Consulting. So I do very much value the time that he's taken to come and chat to us today and share his ideas, his views, his knowledge um, and his understanding of leadership. And I'm hoping that you've taken lots of ideas away from that lots of things that you can take away and think about and mull over and some good places to go and look for some more information and some uh, more strategies for how you can develop your own leadership there's just a couple of things that he said and i think it boils down to the to the three things that he said are the keys to leadership and i think the first one is the idea that and you get this sense from drew I think in everything that he says that leadership is a people thing and it really truly is my experience of leadership is that it's about building positive relationships with people whenever possible because as a leader you are leading people I mean you're also leading systems and processes and doing all those other things that go with leadership but essentially you have to get the people you are working with on board with you and unless you do that you're not going to be successful in your goals as a leader and I think in order to and this is what Drew was saying as well in order to bring the people on board you have to have a really clear vision about where you're going and that vision it needs sharing and it needs some thought to take into consideration how it can be a shared vision but it has to come from from you and you have to have a vision for where you are going and where you want your school to go. And that has to be communicated really clearly to the people in your organisation. And they have to understand where they are heading. They have to know why they are there doing what they're doing. And you are the person who communicates that to them. You are the person who can make that vision really really clear and provide that clarity of direction for everyone in your organization and i'm not just talking about the 
staff, the teachers, I'm talking about support staff, I'm talking about the parents, I'm talking about the governors, I'm talking about the pupils, I'm talking about everybody in that community, not even parents, everybody in the community around you. And it's really important because that is what leadership is about. It's about getting the support of all those people in your community, each and every one of your stakeholders, and you do that through your clear vision. And then you've got to be able to sell that vision. And Drew says that being a leader is being a salesperson. And that sounds something that I don't like about the sound of that, but he's absolutely right because you are selling your vision. You are trying to create the aspiration What is it that you want the people in your organisation to aspire to? What is there that can make them think, I want that. That is where I want to be. Because unless you give them that aspiration and give them something that they want to aspire to, you won't get them on board and you won't get where you want to be. So for me, they're the three things that Drew says encapsulate, you know, what leadership is about. It's the people. It's a people thing. It's a building relationships. It's a building positive relationships with people, with all of your stakeholders. It's having that vision, making it really clear, having real clarity of direction, and then selling it, getting everybody on board with it, making it aspirational. And they're the keys. So, I think I just want to say, you know, also I think Drew creates the idea of us, we're not the finished article as leaders. You know, Drew is a very experienced leader, but he keeps reading and he keeps learning. And for me, that that is inspirational. He's a role model in that respect because he's read so much and he knows so much, but he still wants to keep learning. And that's the key for me as well. As a leader, you can always keep reading, learning and developing. And that's all we've got time for today. I've got some really great interviews that I've been doing over the last week that I'm really excited to put together for you over the coming weeks. So there is definitely something to look forward to. As I said at the start of the show, if you want to get in touch with me, if you want to talk about any of the things that I do that I can deliver, the coaching, the group coaching, the Women Leaders Coaching Network, the support that I can provide for schools and the packages that I've got available, you can email me at vicky at weleadwell.co.uk or you can get me on Twitter and that's at weleadwellpodc1 just searching we lead well and you'll find you'll find me that way uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn or you can visit the website www.transformeducationcoach.com thanks for listening take care of yourself take care of your staff and lead well. This episode of the We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchats.com and the Teach Well Alliance.